0: Um, go ahead and turn your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 23. Uh, grab your Bible, turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 23. We are going to actually finish up uh, Summer in the Psalms today. We're finishing up uh, the 23rd Psalm today. Uh, we've gone through this for six weeks and just progressed through this. I, I, I don't know about you, but for me it's been very, very meaningful and it's been challenging to me and, and uh, in a good way and I've really enjoyed that. Uh, I hope you have too. It's, uh, it's, it's a deep text That we can learn a lot from. Uh, Today is going to be just an amazing text. Uh, The the sixth verse is really where it all all just is reiterated and the promise is held high and true. And for you and I, we are to claim that and grab that as a a deep, deep residing truth that we're going to hold on to as long as we live. And uh, we'll see that not only as a truth for this psalm, it's a truth for all of Scripture. Let me just recap a little bit of where we've been uh, through the psalm, right? The first verse we started The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, We talked about this relationship between us and God, that we we are to make him our shepherd. We're to trust him in repentant faith and turn to him for salvation, and that when we do, he then becomes our shepherd, the God of the universe, the Lord, right, that word Yahweh, the Lord, the self-existent one, the creator of everything, the one that's above every other God, God condescended and made himself a servant by becoming a shepherd for us to care for us, to lay down his life for the sheep. We see this beautiful picture of God Almighty being referred to then as a shepherd, a servant of all, one that cares for the flock. And, and it was so important for us to know that he is our shepherd. And when he is our shepherd, the God of the universe comes to care for us. There is nothing that we lack. We have everything that we need. The second verse we saw, he leads us places. and He leads us to, uh, to green pastures and to quiet waters. And it's, it's there for rest and for comfort for sustenance, right, for refreshments, and, and ultimately, uh, not just refreshments, refreshment, right? Ultimately, though, he's there to restore our soul. We saw that verse, first part of verse three, he restores my soul. This is what the God of the universe does as our shepherd. He brings restoration to our soul. He brings us back into a right relationship, a right standing with him, and that leads us to the third verse where he says he leads me on right paths, or in paths of righteousness. And, and he leads me down these right paths. And I, I mentioned wherever he leads is always right. There is no place that God leads that is wrong. And, and we can always trust that he's leading us in the right spot. We may not feel like that. We may, not, we may question, like, I don't know about this, God. But just in saying that, we should change our mind and say, oh, wait, it's God. He's my shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He leads me on right paths. I will trust him. We mentioned during that sermon that there is not one wasted step of this journey. God does not waste one of those steps, and He works all things out for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He leads us on paths of righteousness, and He leads us into His righteousness. He became righteousness for us, the righteousness that we desperately needed when He offered Himself on the cross. That when we turn to Him in faith, He takes our filthy rags and makes them clean. He takes our sin and buries them at the bottom of the ocean floor and and separates them as far as the east is from the west that we have been given a righteousness that was never our own that was never earned it was all imputed on us by Jesus Christ the good shepherd and we rest in that righteousness and we follow him in right paths and then in verse four we saw that he that even though I walk right even though and this is huge because even those come up often in our lives right even though this happened or even though this is coming up or even though I feel anxious about this or even though I feel sorrow or grief or, or fear or darkness or whatever it might be, the, even those are all around. He says, even though I walk through the darkest or deepest valley, I will fear no danger. Why? Because you are with me. And there's a switch here made, not just saying that the Lord is my shepherd and speaking of him, he, this is what he does. The psalmist said, no, no, David says, you, God, you are with me. It's not that he is with me. It's you are with me. This is personal. You're in a relationship with me. You have pursued me. Even though I walk through the deepest, darkest valley, you are with me. God is with me. Then last week in verse 5, we looked at the celebration that there is over a sinner who repents. The table. He prepares a table before us right to celebrate us. And ultimately, his celebration is not just of us. It is of him, of what he has accomplished. That he has prepared every spot on the table and he has welcomed us and secured our place. So there's a celebration over the uh, repentant faithful, right? Those who respond to Christ in repentant faith. And there's a secure place for me at his table in the presence of my enemies. And I I mentioned last week that, that there's nothing any enemy of God or enemy of yours can do to take away your place at his table. They will just wish they were there. And if you're an enemy of God, you can be there. God can prepare a place for you as well. And today, we go to verse 6. And it is a summary of this psalm. It's the summary promise that everything it holds everything together. It says, uh, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live this is mentioned as a pilgrimage. And you think about for David, David is talking about his life and going through his life and going through the dark valleys, but knowing God is with him and understanding that that on the horizon of that dark valley, whatever it is, if, if death, death comes upon him, if he, he actually physically dies, he knows that that's not the end. That is just the beginning for him. That this is a pilgrimage for him. And, and what he understands is that he is on his way home. And home is to be in the presence of God. And that's what we're going to look at more deeply today. And, and for us today, I titled this sermon, Surely. And some of you might say, well, surely, I can't be serious. And I'd say, I am, and don't call me surely. Just to get that joke out of the way and move over, because I know you're thinking that. But it is surely, and, and the idea of surely is something that is firm and secure. It is steadfast. It is, it is because of everything we've seen, now we understand fully that this is true. The CSB translated, translates it only only goodness and mercy will follow me. It's, it's a promise that we can hold on to. It's, it's not, I sure hope this is going to happen. It is this will surely transpire because of who God is. So the title of the sermon today is Surely, and we're looking look at three different aspects of surely and what God surely gives us uh, as a promise seen here. Let's go ahead and pray, and then I'll read the passage in its fullness, and then we'll break it apart. Father, we, we are so thankful for your great, great love for us. We're so thankful that we can gather together, God, as, as the family of God, as, as your church, your bride, God, as, as people who have, through repentant faith, been secured a place at your table because of everything you've done. We thank you for a righteousness that you have given us <clears throat> that was through your son, Jesus, that, that is not a righteousness we could earn, but it was a righteousness imputed to us through faith in Christ alone. And God, as we look to your word today, God, we ask that you would uh, give us wisdom, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds. God, to be receptive to your truth, that God, you would challenge us by it, you would convict us of sin, and God, you would conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. So as we go through the psalm, I'm going to read this, and I've I've encouraged you just to to be silent and to to quiet your mind and close your eyes as I read the text, because this is one of those texts that we take for granted, isn't it? We've learned this in in whatever version we've learned it in, and, and we have to hold on to it. And but we, we miss it if we just repeat it and repeat it. We, we need to let it resink sink into our heart. So I just encourage you to, to listen as I read the entire text of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Man, even as I read that again today, I hope you're seeing that refreshment and just the depth of the content there. Even in my recap, it didn't catch it all, right? Uh, That's why there's online content. You can go check that out later on. But today we're going to look at this this idea, this notion of the promise, surely. So number one, we see this surely, surely goodness and faithful love. We see surely goodness and faithful love. This is only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life life. Again, this is a promise, and what we see here is, is because of verses 1 through 5, because of who God is as a shepherd, because what he's, what he's going to do for us and how he's going to be with us, we can see this, this person, the this sheep of God, right? He's the shepherd. We're entering into a deeper communion and relationship with him, and verse 6 then is the summary of the entire psalm. The summary of, of all of scripture could be argued that this is it right here. It's that, that only goodness and faithful love. Will pursue me all the days of my life. This is showing the character and nature of God. It is the promise of the gospel that brings joy and peace and hope. God's goodness and His mercy or His faithful love is going to follow us and pursue us all the days of our life. And when you look at this, it's the, the idea of goodness and faithful love, when it's written, it actually is meant to be going together, almost like descriptive. What kind of faithful love is it? It's good faithful love. God's good, faithful love. It goes together. It could be translated that way. It's good, faithful love, or it's good, loyal love, or it's good, covenant love. It, it emphasizes the value of loyal love. Do we understand that? Do we understand that there's a value on loyal love? We place that on, on, in relationships, don't we? When we see someone has loyal love, steadfast love, covenantal love, like, hey, l- listen, I'm going to love you no matter what kind of person you are, no matter what kind of mistakes you make, there is a love to be had that is loyal, And that is described as good. It is good, faithful love. God's love for us is good, faithful love, and we can certainly relate to that. I want to read something out of Psalm 34 where it talks about this goodness of God, God's goodness. Psalm 34, 4 through 8, says, I I sought the Lord, and and listen to to the the descriptions of what God has done and what what His goodness, what what the effects of His goodness are. One here, it says uh, in verse 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me. So his goodness answers me, right, and rescued me from my fears. So he answered me, he rescued me. Those who look at him are radiant with joy, so it produces joy, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, right? God hears, his goodness hears, and saved him from his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. There are some mighty, mighty descriptions here of what exactly? Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. This, This is describing the Lord's goodness, the depth of the Lord's goodness, and how happy is the person who takes refuge in him. So good, as we talk about good and as a descriptive word for covenant love or faithful love, good refers to something that promotes and, and provides and protects and rescues and enhances life. So we say God's good covenant love, we say God is all for us, for our good. It's his good, faithful love. So we've got to take note that this word Coupled with faithful love it also does not just refer to spontaneous, unmotivated acts of kindness. Now, good can. If you're a good person, I, I may help you and see a need, and I might meet a need. But when coupled with faithful love, it is not just blind. It is motivated in relationship to other people. It is kindness out of behavior that arises from strong character and a responsibility to relationships. God has a deep burden to relate to us and to be in a relationship to us and to draw us into relationship with him. So when we talk about his good covenant love, his faithful love, that is what we're talking about, a God who, who grabs us and pulls us in and, and, and embraces us and pursues us. We see that it's gonna follow us all the days of our life. That's who God is, that's what he's doing. God demonstrates his covenant love for his people. He's, he's demonstrated it since the beginning, since we see in Genesis 3, that he says, out of the woman's seed, I'm going I'm to bring someone that's going to crush Satan once and for all. He makes this promise of his covenant that I will save you. I will rescue you. I will bring forward the Messiah. And all through the Old Testament and into the New, we see this covenant uh, talked about and, and prayed about and, and uh, faith in. And then we see this covenant realized in the Messiah, Jesus, and people have this faith in the Messiah who saved them and rescued them. And that's for you and I today. We, we, we are looking back to the Messiah, having faith in the Messiah for what he's done. That is God's covenant love established in person, in God in the flesh. So God demonstrates his covenant love to all people <clears throat> by all that he does for them, even sometimes in spite of their unfaithfulness. Aren't you glad God continued to pursue you even when you weren't faithful? Amen? It's, it's an amazing thing. God pursues us with his good Faithful love. It's a loyal love. I want to see a few ways this plays out in Scripture, this word faithful love. It plays out in the preservation of life. I'll read a few passages. In Psalm 6 4, it says, Turn, Lord, rescue me. There's a rescue, right? According to or because of your faithful love. So, God, because of your faithful love, rescue me. It uh, uh, perseveres or preserves life. The next thing is it's the basis of forgiveness. His faithful love, his covenantal, steadfast, good, faithful love, is the basis for our forgiveness. Psalm 51, David, this is a, a psalm when David just laments and confesses and is restored. Verse 1 says, Be gracious to me, God. So get, I, I need grace according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. That's God's covenant love, a, a love that says, I'm going to pursue you relentlessly and I'm going to forgive you wholly. When you come to me in faith. That's, that's our God. That's what he's doing. That's his faithful love. It also brings about restoration. Remember, we see that parallelism here with the rest of the Psalm 23. In verse 3, he restores my soul. Right? Psalm 109, 21 to 27, it says this. But you, Lord, uh, my Lord, deal kindly with me for your namesake. Because your faithful love is good rescue me. So let's listen to what, what is what is this condition state of this person's heart or soul or life. It says, for I am suffering and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like a lengthening shadow. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak from fasting and my body is emaciated. I have become an object of ridicule to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads and scorn. That seem like someone needs refreshment. Rejuvenation, absolutely. Verse 26, help me, Lord my God, save me according to your faithful love. So there's this this rescue because of your faithful love. There's this help because of your faithful love. And then the psalmist goes on. I love how this, this demonstrates more outward focus because of his faithful love. It says, so that, right, rescue me according to your faithful love, so that they may know that this is your hand and that you, Lord, have done it. When you and I live our lives and we have responded to the good, faithful love of God, it should change everything about us. Our countenance changes. That's why there's this hope in this verse, in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There is joy to be had over that. There's hope to be had over that. There's an outpouring to be had over that. God's faithful love is worth, worth holding on to and believing, and then it restores us. And as it does, then his faithful love is worth singing about. His faithful love is worth proclaiming. That's what the last basis is. This We see the basis of praise. In Psalm 118, uh, we did this during, during the book of Ruth. We did this uh, uh, responsive reading. right? And, and if you remember that, we had it up on the screen. And I would, I would say the first part, and then you would say, His faithful love endures forever. And it goes on and on and on in this text. But Psalm 8, 118, verse 1, just says this. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. You see, it's a basis of praise. God's faithful, steadfast love, his His good, faithful love should be something that is praise coming off of our lips. As we walk through life, we hold on to this promise that surely goodness and faithful love is there. That God is about goodness and faithful love, his good, faithful love. That leads us to number two. Surely the Lord pursues me all the days of my life, surely the Lord pursues me all the days of my life. In our text from Psalm twenty-three six, it says, "Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life." I want you to think about how this looks as a shepherd. If, you, if we're going to that sheep analogy and we're the sheep and he's the shepherd, how, how do shepherds pursue their sheep? They go after them at all costs. If one runs away, they're going to go find that sheep and and they're they're not just going to lead it back. They're going to Shepherd it back, right? They're going to pursue it back. They're going to follow it back. They're going to make sure it goes the right way. You see a cattle drive or, or dogs working sheep, you see that they're behind them. They're pushing them, right? Or, or they cut them off because they're going the wrong way and they get behind them and push them the way they want them to go. God is like that in us. He's pursuing us. He's, he's a pursuing shepherd, not just somewhere off in the far distance where I don't know if I can see him anymore. He's right there pursuing us. And, it's, and listen, it's, it's more than just bringing up the rear. Right? Some people think, oh, well, God's got my back. Well, what does that mean? This word pursue has, has some real depth to it. And, and I, I don't pick the text Jesus does, and I'm just going to read a, a passage of Scripture here that, that is probably going to be a little bit raw for us, but it's probably very relevant for us to understand God's pursuit of us. And, and while I, I know the wildfires are causing havoc and wreaking havoc, and people are in danger, and we should be praying for them and praying for the Firefighters that are out there, um, God's pursuit of us is much like these wildfires, pursuit of forest. Let me read this passage from Psalm, uh, Psalm 83. This word pursue is used here. So the same word used to describe how God follows us all the days of our lives. It says, as fire burns a forest, as a flame blazes through mountains, so pursue them. Now, this is a psalm talking about judgment. So not only will God's judgment pursue those who are being judged, but also God is pursuing those for faith, for righteousness, for salvation in the same manner. So it says, As fire burns a forest, as flame blazes through mountains, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame so they will seek your name, Lord. Now, I'm not one to pray for fires and say, let's bring it on, but... To see the way that God pursues people is not to be said, He just is behind us. And, and when this was written, they didn't have the equipment we have today, right? They didn't have these huge airplanes and, and huge helicopters to dip water and put fire retardant on lines and bulldozers to wipe out, wipe out terrain and, and create a huge line for a fire break. When fire started in a forest, then what happened? It didn't stop until it stopped. They understood that the pursuit of God was the same. God pursuing people was the same. So whether it's in judgment or whether it's in mercy and steadfast love, the Lord will overtake us. Do we understand that? Some of us think that, oh, I can can run and I can hide. I want to avoid making a a commitment to Christ. I want to avoid uh, expressing faith or repenting for my sin. I want to avoid that. it's, It's not quite too late. One day it will be whether in judgment or in mercy, the Lord will overtake us. So we must turn to him and respond in faith today. Listen, he is pursuing you. He is pursuing you that you might come to faith in him, that he might secure a place at a table prepared before your enemies, that you might be welcomed into his kingdom as a son or daughter. He's pursuing you. Your sin and your Your stubbornness is in the way, but he will overtake you. Don't let him overtake you in your sin. Let him take away your sin and overtake you in his mercy and his grace. Listen, you can't hide from God. We see this text that God pursues me all the days of my life. You cannot hide from God. I want to read a passage out of Psalm 139. Amazing how a lot of these passages about the psalm are in the psalms, right? Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down at the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So where can I go to escape God? Nowhere. So I I would say this. Turn to him in repentant faith and rest in his forgiveness, rest in the restoration that he will provide for you. No matter where we go or why we get there, David understood that God would pursue him with his love as a good shepherd, as a good God. And listen, as we express faith in Christ, we shared this verse either last week or the week before from Romans 8. When we we understand that the Lord pursues me and he holds on to me and he's he's going to secure my place at that table, that's shown in this security of Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Uh, Paul writes, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I know there are times, even, even once we've expressed faith in Christ for salvation, there are times we want to run away and hide. Probably rightly so because we're so ashamed of what we've done. The right thing to do is understand that there's nothing that can separate us from Him and that by turning back to His good, faithful love, He is there to restore our soul. Repentant faith brings that about. It's hard, though, isn't it? We don't want to be repentant all the time. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't, Because humbling ourselves is humiliation often, right? We, we're humiliated over something. Well, we can get over that pretty quick. Teaching my kids that lesson, by the way, is one of the hardest things I have to do when they've wronged someone or done something wrong and had to repent of that. That humility is so hard to enter into, but I tell you what, especially as I teach them that lesson with people that are safe, it is amazing to see how their heart melts when forgiveness and restoration is offered. They know that there is a secure place of love, covenantial love, from those around them. And especially for us, it is in God. So this security, This security is what's on David's mind when he goes into number three. Surely I will dwell with God forever. The text says, I'm going to read it in its fullness, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. That text, as long as I live, it means for my length of days. For my length of days. Now, for David, he he was in this position of the valley, or in this position of the life, and he said, "I just want to pursue God. I want to move towards God wherever He is, whether it be in His tabernacle or with His people. I want to grow closer to God, or whether it be eternity, I just want to be." With him, For you and I, we aren't necessarily in the position of David. we know that there is an eternity for us, that we know that there is glory with Jesus forever to be had by those who believe through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And, and that's the amazing thing. He knows that he can move closer to God and that dwelling with God forever is actually about communion, deeper communion with the Father, deeper communion with the Good Shepherd. That's what he desired, this deep spiritual growth as he, and as he walked through this journey closer to God. in a deeper communion with God. I I want to read a few texts here for us that will describe this a little more in detail. What are we looking for when we look for being in the presence of God or being in the house of God? What is this going to provide for us? We see in Psalm 36, 7 and 8, the psalmist writes, how priceless your faithful love is. There's that faithful love again. How priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wing. They are filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream. This is that picture of, I want to get closer to God. I want to be more refreshed. I see his covenant faithful love. with well, us. I see this refuge that I'll, I'll have uh, under the shadow of his wings. It says, they're filled from abundance of his house. Listen, being in God's house, being in the presence of God, there is abundance, and, and he lets us drink from refreshing streams, It goes back and relates back to the first part of the psalm, doesn't it? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul, refreshes my soul, renews my soul or my life. And Psalm 16 says this in verse 11, You reveal the path of life to me. So again, correlating with the scripture of Psalm 23, You lead me on right paths, right? You reveal the path of life to me in your presence. Here's the path of life. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Amen? That's what the psalmist is saying. Listen, I, I know that the right path is right to you. That's the right path. God, you reveal the path of life to me, and your presence is where I need to be. That's where I find abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. The psalmist knew it wasn't just about being in the house of God. Don't, don't mistake this and say, man, if I go to church, I'm going to have it all. That's not what this is saying. David wanted deep community and communion with God. He wanted God's presence. I want to show you something. Second Timothy, I'll read this first, and I want to show you kind of how this pulls together with God's presence. We see written in 2 Timothy 4.18, Paul, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil work, Right, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his kingdom. That's the, that's the perspective we must have. That, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as a believer in Christ, my communion with God will be ultimate and fulfilled even if I die. But he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to. I want to just describe. It was neat. One of the commentaries I brought it to read. Uh, one of the commentaries really painted this picture of of God's presence through Psalm 23. So you, you might go back to Psalm 23, and maybe you want to write these words down or circle these instances of God's presence. Uh, but but it shows God round about us. The Lord is my shepherd, right? I have everything I need. He's there as a provider. He's there as a provider giving he says he lets me lie down in green pastures so he puts green pastures beneath me so where is he he's beneath me he's got me covered beneath me he he leads me beside quiet waters. so where is he he's beside me he is as as i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil because you are he's with me he's with me, not, not just in front of me, not just beside me, but he is with me and even strengthening me and encouraging me, even picking me up and carrying me. He is with me. And it says you prepare a table where? Right before me. God prepares a table before me. He's right before me in the presence of my enemies. That He, In this presence of the enemies, he is, he is our shield. He is our defense. He is around us everywhere there. And then he says, he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. He anoints my head with oil. He is upon me. And it says, surely goodness and mercy will pursue me. The Lord is after me. I love that word, after me. Not just, he's not just behind me. He's after me. I'm after him, right? God is after me. Goodness and mercy will follow me, what? All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. The Lord is also beyond us. See, the promise of the psalm is the presence of God beneath me, beside me, with me, before me, around me, upon me, after me, and always before me. That's the promise of the psalm. And listen, I, I've said this for, over the few, last few weeks. The, the, the promise isn't the provisions that he gives. Although God is a good God and he provides for us, he cares for us. He makes every provision for us. Our joy comes from His presence, not from the provisions. Amen? It's from His presence. And we talked about how, how we, we want, oh, I want those green pastures. I want those quiet waters. I want, I want other sheep around me that are, that are like me. That's what I'm going to cling to. That's my hope. No, your hope isn't there. Your hope is in the shepherd who is round about you and who leads you there, who gives you everything you need. We have to turn to the shepherd alone. My last passage today is out of John chapter 14. And I, I want us to see this a little more in depth. Not, not just him being uh, giving us things and, and making things for us and, and letting us have the streets of gold. It's more than that. And it, it's honestly something I had never read before I studied, never realized before I studied this passage. In this passage, I never really picked up on this. I think about the mansions in heaven, right? Because what does it say in John 14, 1 through 3? Look at this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. That's a good thing to start with, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So Jesus is encouraging the disciples here, the believers. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Now we stop there at the end of verse 2, don't we? We stop there and say, yes, God's going to prepare a place for me. Then we're like, I wonder how big my mansion's going to be. I wonder how big yours is going to be. I say, oh, yours is going to be way bigger than mine. You're better than me. We do that. We have that conversation, don't we? That exact conversation. All about the mansions. All about the streets of gold. All about doing whatever we want in heaven because it's going to be glorious. I don't know. Maybe some of that's true. But here's what Jesus came to say at the end of verse, or in verse 3. He says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will also come again and take you, what's it say? To myself. He's going to prepare a place for us so he can take us there to himself so that where I am, you may be also. Let's see, the promise of the good shepherd, the promise of the psalmist here, the promise of all of Scripture is not that we'll get glorious things, that we will be with the glorious one. Not that we'll be shepherded towards green pastures, that we will have the shepherd all the days of our life. And that we will be in his presence all the days of our life. The joy of heaven is not the mansions or the streets of gold. The joy of heaven is Jesus, the good shepherd, himself. And I I sincerely pray that at this moment, as we've gone through this, that you can say that the Lord is my shepherd. That you aren't banking on green pastures. That you're not banking on quiet waters. That you're not banking on streets of gold and mansions. That you have put everything, you've gone all in with Jesus, the good shepherd, and that you can claim him as your shepherd through faith. If you can, if you can claim him, as your shepherd, then the wonderful promises of this psalm are yours. If he is your shepherd, if he is the shepherd who, who gave his life for the sheep, for you, and you have expressed repentant faith in him, then this psalm is for you. And the promise of surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever is a promise worth holding on to. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Oh Father, we are so grateful that you are a good good Father. We're so grateful that you pursue us with this unrelenting steadfast good faithful love. And God, as you pursue us, may we may we know and recognize that you do. God, for some of those here today, they they are still being pursued in judgment because they haven't turned from their sin and turned to faith in Christ alone. So God, I pray that you you would speak to their heart that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would trust you as Savior. They would turn to you and trust you as the good shepherd, the one who will take care of their lives, who will secure them for all eternity, secure a place at the table that you prepare before them. God, may they humble themselves and experience the good faithful love of God. God, for the rest of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, God, we are so thankful. God, may may you continue to change our perspective in any way that we we had, uh, holding on to to green pastures or holding on to quiet waters or holding on to other sheep or holding on to mansions or streets of gold. Father, help the, the affections of our heart be only always on you, Jesus, that you're the one we hold on to. You're the one we draw near to. That God, in this journey home, it's a journey home to be with you. And that is always going to be enough. We thank you. Give us peace and strength and joy with that promise. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.